terms of the message this morning, I would like you to first, as I will bring this to bear at a place in our message, I would like you to just be to review uh, the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 22. Well, it's, excuse me, it should be 10 through 20, I'm sorry. 10 through 20. I want to make one other comment this morning, too, as we look at Mark 13. This morning, uh, what we're going to do is look at a discussion in terms of the context of that wonderful passage. And so it will not be so exegetical, but address some of the issues that we need to understand as we approach that whole chapter. So just to uh, make that understood uh, before we begin this morning. Listen to the holy word of God in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying that at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, <clears throat> making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, if you would, back to Mark chapter 13. Going to read verses 1 through 13, even though this morning we are only going to be looking, making mention and reference to the first two verses. And as he came out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see the great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? 
And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of war, do not be alarmed. This must take place. <clears throat> but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. There are, these are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils. You will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they spring you to try and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand as to what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in the hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will, will excuse me, and brother will deliver brother over to death and the father is child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we have before us the prophetic words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we are reminded by the Apostle Paul how we are to guard ourselves. For evil is all around us. The suffering church is part of our identity. So, O oh Lord, we ask that we would understand what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, that we would find our comfort in life and in death in our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask your blessing upon us this day. Help us to understand your word and be faithful to Jesus and his prophecy. In Christ's name, amen. In my brief lifetime since World War II, Every time unrest has broken out in the Middle East, Christian evangelicals, fundamentalists, and dispensationalists seem to become more intense about the, about the interpretation of biblical prophecy. Many of these self-declared experts on biblical prophecy go on TV, do podcasts, write articles, blogs, texts, and preach concerning how we are on the brink of Armageddon and Christ's second coming. They have their biblical texts in their hands ready to map out how and what nations will meet in the Middle East for the final battle in history. For many who enter this prophetic interpretation of the end times and Christ's second coming, their focus of attention is upon one nation, the geographical nation of Israel. Please note 
that the focus is not upon Christ's church, although the church is an important bystander in their interpretation. Rather, the main attention is given to Israel. The nations in terms of Armageddon are divided into two alliances. Simply put, those who support Israel and those who do not support Israel. Well, as to be expected, with the attack of Hamas upon Israel on October 7, the so-called experts in interpreting biblical prophecy about the current events are back in the forefront among Christians. You can check the internet if you don't believe me. <laughs> the new section before us in Mark's gospel will surely come into play by these so-called experts. Christ's prophecy about the end times as presented in the entire 13th chapter of this gospel will be scrutinized as to how it fits in the current events that are going on in the Middle East. But is Christ's focus in chapter 13 upon ethnic Israel instead of his church? Let me ask my question this way. Is Christ directing Peter, James, John, and Andrew in the 13th chapter to interpret all events about the last day through the nation of Israel. Except for the first two verses in chapter 13, unless I am missing something, I do not see a single reference by Christ about the nation of Israel. The point is imperative to understand in terms of understanding our Savior's language here in this text. I would guess that some of us here this morning have been enticed by the fundamentalist and dispensationalist teaching about the last days. Whether you are young in the Christian faith or one who is older in the faith, various interpretations have surrounded the Christian world since Christ's ascension. The second coming of our Savior cannot escape the hearts and lives of every Christian as we continue to witness the manifestation of evil around us and throughout the world. Christians in every age have coveted the return of Christ. We join the chorus of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Revelation 22, verse 20. Yes, those words were heard in the early church under the Roman government. Also during the Middle Ages when the Crusades attempted to recover the sacred places of biblical history from, from Islam. And additionally, it was on the mind of the church as the church approached the year 1000, the millennium after Christ's death and resurrection, accenting Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Furthermore, during and after the Reformation, the Reformers had various positions 
about Christ's return. However, central to most positions was the focus upon Christ's church. With some individuals, not all, for example, Calvin, maintaining that there will be a mass conversion of the Jews to the gospel just prior or during or after the second coming of Christ as they examined Romans chapter 11. Uh, Romans chapter 11. Hence, although some spoke of the mass conversion of the Jews, the reformers were not caught up in the modern viewpoint of Armageddon in which the geographical location of Israel is the single focus and nations are divided based on the base on the support of Israel or non-support of Israel. That position began its dominant persuasion within evangelicalism during the 19th century. The history of interpreting this issue is important in understanding the truth of scripture in the history of the church. I beg you, do not get caught up with every wind and every doctrine. Yes, just think about it. All the history of the church never had this type of dispensationalism that infiltrates the church in our modern era. In fact, it is important to stay focused on Jesus' teaching. As we see it here in chapter 13, as we will proceed in the coming weeks. Christ's discussion here, the Olivet Discourse, and its context in Mark's narrative, must be the basis for our understanding the end times, the eschaton. It is the foundation for how we understand the parameters when looking at passages relating to the last days, whether we are looking at Romans 11, 2 Thessalonians 2, 2 Peter 3, 1 John 2, and the entire book of Revelation. Furthermore, when we are reading and interpreting Old Testament prophecy about the coming Messiah, his kingdom and the end of times, we must always look at those prophecies within the scope of Christ fulfilling activity and work in his earthly ministry. Although, along with Christ's own words, forecasting the future. It is true that the Holy Spirit, through the apostles Paul, Peter, and John, will provide further insight into the end times. But their revelational insights must be viewed as being rooted in the words of Christ and the parameters of his teaching. If one fails to keep this principle of interpreting the words of our Savior as the focus, believers can get caught up within wild speculations of interpreting biblical prophecy, focusing upon the nation Israel in the realm of global international politics, as well as so-called European Union of Nations controlling the world's financial markets. 
I just listened to a cast on the internet this week. Daniel 8, you may never have known this. Daniel chapter 8 is about the European Union of controlling the financial, uh, uh, financial uh, process in the, in the world. You might keep that in mind when you look at Daniel 8 in terms of your Bible studies. <laughs> Many Christians overlay biblical prophecy with the obsession of the political economic situation of the world. And Christians love this viewpoint. They love this viewpoint. They flock to it. Churches are packed this morning with that viewpoint. <laughs> that is viewpoint that is being advocated. Why? Why is that so? Because Christians are obsessed with still thinking about this world, their place in this world, their preservation in this world. They play with biblical prophecy like the non-Christian tries to read their crystal ball, read their tea leaves, investigate the astrological charts as they are paranoid in trying to manage and make their way into the future. Many of these Christians read biblical prophecy through the lenses of political economic situation of the, of the world with Israel being the center. In contrast, a vast number of non-Christians are obsessed with their view of the end of the natural world through the lenses of global warming as some of their prophets predict that humanity has until 2030 or soon afterwards before the secular version of Armageddon hits the earth. Well, but what is so glaringly missing among our fellow believers in Christ concerning the last days? What is missing? The answer is that Christ's own focus is upon his own position that he occupies in the last days. Along with his church, his kingdom, and the spiritual battle against Satan and his kingdom. Prior to Mark chapter 13 verse 1, Christ has not given one hint, one hint, that he has come to establish on earth a political kingdom, nation, that looks like, matches, or rivals Rome, or that will be identified with the nation of Israel presently or in the future. Nothing can be clear as Christ enters Jerusalem and the temple, chapter 11, verse 15, that Christ as the true Messiah is placing apostasy and barrenness of Israel's false worship and sinful lifestyle under his judgment. They have entered the last judgment of the Lord upon their sin. Their apostasy is an enemy being put under Christ's feet. Psalm 110, verse 1. 
There's no second chance. Jesus is clear in the parable of the tenants. Do you remember that Israel and her leadership will kill the Son of God, and thus the Father will destroy the tenants of the vineyard and give it to others? Chapter 12, verse 9. Ethnic, national Israel has no more inheritance in their apostasy. They have no more right to the kingdom of God in their barrenness. barrenness. It is now given to the Gentiles, to the nations. And yet, and yet, any Jew who is truly repentant and comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ enters his kingdom. In other words, the inheritance goes to the New Testament church, which is beautifully occupied by both Jew and Gentile. We must not forget that the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Jewish day of Pentecost, in which Jews from every nation under heaven receive the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 verse 5. As Paul says, the New Testament church is built up first upon the Jews who were given the oracles of God and then the Gentile. There is no partiality. There is no prejudice in Christ's church. We are one body. We are united Jew and Gentile as we came together this morning and recited the Apostle Creed. We are all the spiritual seed of Abraham, Galatians 3:28. And the Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ, He is the new temple for the worshiping flock of God's people. He has become the chief cornerstone. Mark 12, 10 and 11. Mark's edition of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ has been an evangelistic message of the good news for the growth and edification of Christ's church. In Mark, we have been seeing that Christ is actually taking upon himself the life of the church. We have underlined that theme throughout his ministry. As an example of the church, he remained focused through his whole ministry and mission against the effects of the fall into sin concerning physical ailments, against the opposition from his family and hometown, the Jewish leadership, the demons, the forces of Satan which invaded humans, the Jewish leadership in terms of that, the crowds seeking temporal earthly blessings without comprehending the eternal state of their souls and the hardness of hearts of the future leaders of the church. We have seen that throughout Mark's gospel, which are his disciples. The life of the church will live the pattern of opposition that was endured in Christ's life. The pattern 
that was clearly ordained by his heavenly father for the disciples called apostles only in this gospel of Mark. The pattern is a suffering savior to an exalted redeemer. A suffering church to an exalted church in which every member of Christ's body will participate in the identity of suffering to exaltation by truly repenting of their sin and living by saving faith. Mark 1.15. So as we enter the words of Christ in chapter 13, Christ and his good news is the description of a spiritual battle between Christ's kingdom and the kingdom of Satan. Christ's words in chapter 13 provides not even a hint that we are to read the last days, the end times, as a political economic battle finalized in national Israel versus her opposing nations. Once again, Mark's narrative clearly demonstrates that Christ makes absolutely no comment about the Roman Herod Antipas' execution of John the Baptist. That's amazing. Rather, in the flow of the text, immediately after the beheading of John the Baptist, Jesus heard what the apostles had done and taught in their evangelistic mission. That's the mission of the church in this age. Mark 6:30. Once again, Christ is not interested in the Pharisees and the Herodians' concerns about paying taxes to Caesar, an earthly declared divine emperor. Rather, Jesus says, to pay your taxes to a corrupt political power. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ and his church, I plead with you to keep your hearts, keep your lives focused upon Christ's ministry and his mission as the means to enter a correct understanding of the last days, the end times, which is defined in the New Testament from Christ's ministry, his death and resurrection, until his second coming. That is the last days, from Christ's death and resurrection all the way to his second coming. The end times. We call that in terms of the Greek word and of scripture, the eschaton. Christ's focus is the spiritual battle between Christ's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. Christ's church and Satan's legion of darkness. Paul takes Christ's words in Mark 13 and tells the church at Ephesus what the battle is all about. We saw that, we read that in Ephesians 6, there 10 through 20. Paul describes how the true believer 
must be dressed living in the last days of salvation. We must have the whole armor of God to guard the gospel in your heart against the flaming darts of the evil one, Satan and his fallen angels. How are you dressed for this battle in your own life? Are the words of Paul you? Are the words of Paul you? Is that your life? Is that how you're dressed? Paul states the issue clearly in chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Let me ask you, do you see anything in this verse about ethnic national Israel? I hope your answer is no. The reason your answer may be very important right now is because Hal Lindsey's website applies this very verse to the present conflict in the Middle East, stating that ethnic Israel is part of Paul's point. That is not Paul's point at all. The battle is not against flesh and blood. The battle is spiritual between the triune God and his angels and fallen Satan and his fallen angels. Angels. Paul understands this so well. He is thoroughly noticed, he is thoroughly content and at peace with the proclamation of the mystery of the gospel that he has proclaimed as he is presently what? Verse 19 and 20, as he is presently an ambassador in chains under the Roman government. Paul's battle is not about the Roman government. His battle is to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel to a fallen creation. to evangelize the good news, even as he is in chains. Paul understands the transition from the old covenant to the new covenant so well. He clearly understands the actions and discussion Christ had with the apostasy, the barrenness of the false religion that had taken hold of the Jewish leadership, the institutions, their institutions, the temple, and the influence upon common people. And Paul understands the pronouncement of the final judgment upon the heart of their false religion as Jesus here in chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, leaves their temple for the last time with the following pronouncement. 
as one of the disciples is looking, still looking at the outward appearance of wonderful stones and buildings, they will need to understand that there will not be a stone on top of another, of another and they will all be thrown down. That's what Jesus says. Their false Jewish religion is being cast down in final judgment. And the new religion of the new Israel that includes both Jew and Gentile is going to arise out of the temple sacrifice of Christ on the cross and his resurrection into the new Jerusalem in heaven. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel is not an, invested, is not an investment in buildings of brick and mortar. I don't know how many times I had to say that in the education context when new buildings were going up on the campus. It is an investment into the hearts of Christ's flock. That's you. That's you. The gospel invests in the hearts of the people of God and in their evangelistic outreach to those who don't know Christ. There is the good news. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are so thankful for the gospel. We ask, O oh Lord, that you, through thy spirit, would lift us up, lift our hearts up. Help us to understand what Jesus is saying. Help us to find our comfort and life in him. Help us not to be misled by every wind of doctrine, even within, that comes across in the church, that we would stay focused on what Christ has said and place everything under his lordship and his direction. Help us, O oh Lord, to have the assurance of a kingdom that never ends in him. In Christ's name. Amen.